And I don't say that lightly, but I do think we're entering a new era in human evolution where everything we have thus far believed to be unique to human creativity or intelligence, at least the production process, can now be done by AI and at scale. Hey, what's going on? Hope you are well and having a good week as always. So a genuinely mind-blowing episode for you this week on the Welcome to the Metaverse podcast, all about artificial intelligence, synthetic media, and the coming information apocalypse. A hot topic at the moment, and our guest is a world leader in this area, the amazing Nina Schick. Now, Nina is an expert in deepfakes, synthetic media, cybersecurity, and the geopolitics of technology. She's advised global leaders, including Joe Biden and the former Secretary General of NATO amongst other major companies and government agencies. This episode is absolutely fascinating. As you'll hear, we are approaching a major societal shift with what AI enables. And by the end of the episode, you'll have an understanding of roughly how it works and the magnitude of what is about to take place and what is actually already happening. And there was no one better than Nina to have this conversation with. She explained it all brilliantly and in a really accessible way as well. So thank you so much uh, to Nina for coming on the podcast. Before we fully dive in, uh, this show is of course brought to you by the British in every realm who are your portal to the metaverse now if you're heading to art basel in miami this year you need to add this to your itinerary Uh, from the first to the third of december every realm are doing an in real life showcase of their master planned metaverse real estate development called the row Uh, these are 3d architectural designs that are absolutely stunning and the in real life event includes a unique immersive multimedia exploration featuring the amazing daniel arsham and his aries house creation from the row along with a selection of his world-renowned physical sculptures too. It's a chance to see this incredible project in real life, plus there'll be complimentary drinks throughout the day, so uh, what are you waiting for? I'll tell you a bit more about it later in the show, but links to learn more and RSVP to the event are in the show notes now, uh, one you don't want to miss. And finally, as always, nothing in this podcast is financial or investment advice. Always do your own research. And with that said, let's dive into this epic episode. Nina, really great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for, for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So uh, I'm currently halfway through your book, uh, Deep Fakes and the Infocalypse, uh, Information Apocalypse, uh, What You Urgently Need to Know, uh, which is blowing my mind. Not just saying that as a, as a plug early on, but it's uh, it's genuinely one of the most important books I've read, I think, so far, for sure. It's, um, yeah, it talks about everything from kind of misinformation to synthetic media and um, these deep, deep levels about where the future of, uh, of all this stuff is going. So it's really, really fascinating. We're going to kind of focus mainly on synthetic media and uh, and deep fakes in this conversation. But I'd love for you to just kind of give us a bit of your story. It's a classic podcast question, but I think here it's it's really important because you kind of came into this world from from a politics background and some of the people you've advised, some of the agencies you've worked with is really, really fascinating. So yeah, I'd love to love to just hear how you ended up here. Sure, absolutely. So my background really is in geopolitics and politics, where for kind of a decade and a half, I was working with political leaders, um, think tanks, political parties, campaign groups, really various, you know, across lots of things from like elections to campaigning. And the thing that started becoming consistent theme in my career was just how quickly technology led changes in the information ecosystem were completely transforming global geopolitics. So I saw this 
this by my early work in Russia, Ukraine in 2012, 2013, where you really saw how Russia was weaponizing social media as a tremendous tool of disinformation. And that kind of trend continued with Brexit, European elections in the kind of mid 2010s. And then it continued to the extent where I became an advisor for the former NATO Secretary General, Anders Fogh Rasmussen. And they were really looking at election integrity and election interference. And of course, there was the big question of what happened in the 2016 election in the US. And um, it was through my work with the NATO former Secretary General that I started looking at next generation disinformation threats. And one of the people who was advising when I was doing this work was the then former VP, Joe Biden, who's obviously now the president of the US. And at the end of 2017, my attention was brought, having become an expert in information warfare and uh, the rapidly changing information ecosystem, my attention was brought to this very new emerging phenomenon now known as deep fakes. It emerged on Reddit and essentially what it was, was AI generated or AI created non-consensual fake pornography. And immediately I understood then that this was going to be huge um, from a disinformation perspective because for the first time you had the ability of artificial intelligence to actually create, not just manipulate, but create fake media. And of course the first manifestation was in pornography because just like with the internet itself, porn is so pioneering, but the ramifications were far, far, far broader than that. And that's what I wrote my book on. It came out in 2020 and I very much approach this space through the disinformation angle. Whilst in my book, I acknowledge in the introduction that there's an entire other kind of space for legitimate or commercial uses of synthetic media. And since my book has come out, <laughs> that space, which is a kind of more nuanced view of AI generated content has just come to fruition. And as a matter of fact, in the kind of last 12 to six months, this space is absolutely exploding. So whilst I started looking at it from a disinformation angle, I now understand that this is far more profound than just AI generated disinformation. This, in my view, is a tipping point for human evolution. And I don't say that lightly, but I do think we're entering a new era in human evolution where everything we have thus far believed to be unique to human creativity or intelligence, at least the production process, can now be done by AI and at scale. So that's going to have really profound implications and consequences. And that's what I call the era of generative AI. So that's what I'm focusing on now. Yeah, it's it's absolutely fascinating. And it's a yeah, pretty crazy time to be alive to kind of watch this happen in real time. And we're sort of, it feels like it's all bubbling uh, beneath the surface a little bit. Um, but we're going to dive into kind of what's happening now and how quickly it's accelerating, which seems to be the nature of this technology as well. So before we kind of dive into it all, a lot of people kind of talk about AI broadly as this sort of technology that we sort of know from a from an average internet user perspective. We know that kind of, you know, social media uses sort of algorithms that are using AI to generate stuff. It ranges everything from there to synthetic media. So maybe you could sort of tell us about the core concept of this technology and maybe even the history, which you mentioned in your book, that's really interesting about computers learning, you know, one thing at a time to then learning uh, like a new neural network, like a, like a brain learns, and then through to, to GAN as well, which maybe you could explain. And that kind of really helped me understand what's, what's happening here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the kind of realm of AI has long kind of been, uh, you know, it's as old as computer science itself. And 
and it's often been considered more in the realms of science fiction, but it already is a practical reality in the in terms of how we interact on social media, often what we see, it's algorithmically generated, algorithmically sourced. So AI already categorizes and labels a lot of the information we encounter on the internet daily. But what is new in this field, and I call it generative AI, and really it started with, um, again, the first use case was in pornography. It's a very nascent field of artificial intelligence where AI isn't just being used to categorize or label information, but it's actually creating something entirely new. And the breakthroughs in this space started in 2014, 2015, 2016, when research papers where um, brilliant minds of AI started to hypothesize that in order to achieve these kind of outputs, perhaps they could build models that were loosely modeled on the human brain. So if you can create neural networks or computer models or AIs that are trained to learn similar to a way that a human does, what is its capacity? And what they found with these incredibly sophisticated models that they've been creating in the last five, six years, or really kind of with this advanced and deep learning, is that they can actually get AI to generate these unbelievable outputs, like in generative AI. And when I wrote my book, the kind of state-of-the-art model for AI to actually generate or create something, in this case, media, right, images. Um, one of the best models was something called a GAN. And this was a general adversarial network. And the way broadly that a GAN works was that you had two neural networks competing with each other so that their outputs would, similar to like if you, the way the analogy I used in the book was if you're like an athlete, you're a tennis player, if you want to get better, you're always competing with somebody who's just as good as or better than you, so your game rises. And a similar kind of concept with the GAN, it's like for an athlete, it's adversarial training. And they found that outputs produced by GANs were like miles ahead of anything that had been even plausible, thinkable before. But now, I mean, I wrote my, I researched my book in 2019, it came out in 2020. <laughs> now we're <laughs> miles, miles, miles ahead of that. GANs <laughs> still have a important place in kind of the history of synthetic content or AI made generative AI, but they are no longer state of the art. We've already moved on to these new models, which are called diffusion models. And the outputs of what we saw in the early days where you basically trained a GAN to do a single thing, and it became very good at that. For instance, you train a GAN to generate images of human faces. So the GAN would kind of learn what a human face looks like. And once it's learned that, it can generate synthetic or AI created images of human faces for as, as long as you want. Every time you click it, it creates, it generates a new one because it's mastered the art of generating a human face. But now what we're looking at is general generative models. So it's far more sophisticated than just one thing like a human face. These general models can generate anything just by a text prompt, right? So it isn't just like show me many iterations of a human face, which is already mind blowing that AI can do that, create endless iterations of face of a human that doesn't exist. And we would never be able to tell that that's not a real person. But what we're looking at now is these image generation models that can produce whatever you want just from a text prompt. So we are moving so fast and we are light years ahead of when I wrote my book in um, 20, 2019 and 2020. 
Interesting. Yeah, it's like uh, it's, you start to question your sort of uh, assumptions as a human, right? You kind of uh, uh, always imagine that we kind of were, were in control and sort of the most sort of powerful species. And then, uh, yeah, these things are really surprising that are happening. And that's amazing that you explained the, the GAN model, this kind of gamification model where computers are sort of almost playing against each other to, to, to get better. And then this uh, diffusion model, stable diffusion. And that's this is where I'll be learning as well. But the kind of conversation around all this stuff has been beamed into the spotlight, especially in the kind of web three world as well because these tools have become available that average internet users can go and experiment with so the text to art generation of things like mid-journey and, and dali 2 which is i assume this is the new kind of um, ai technology that they're talking about so so where are we with things now most people have probably seen these kind of artistic images and even had a play with them and they're amazing i, I noticed there's a, i think a company called runaway who teased like a text to video next ai um technology and we're able to change kind of backgrounds of videos and that kind of thing so so where are we now and, and what's kind of coming in in this space so broadly we have now hit and i'm not a mathematician but uh, or a statistician but i think if you talk to one and you kind of like quantify the amount of research coming out and how quickly these advances are happening we have hit an exponential curve in terms of generative ai output so broadly what does the space look like well in my view up to 90 percent of all digital content will be generated by ai by 2025 and the models we are seeing coming out now are mastering every form of digital content, whether that is audio, video, text, or images. Now, some of those challenges are harder than others. So for instance, video is obviously one of the more difficult ones, but on text, image, and speech, I mean, the models are already out there. You mentioned DALI to Midjourney and Stable Diffusion. Those are three kind of uh, models or, and or platforms that have been just released in 2022. DALI 2 was the first with OpenAI. It's also kind of a general generative model, which is text to image. And when that came out, I mean, it was absolutely mind blowing, right? Up to that point, we had seen AI manipulated or AI generated media where the barrier to entry was still pretty high because it was still rather difficult to build one of these models. And even then the outputs were quite specific, but DALI 2 was the first general model in the sense that you type in a text prompt and then it generates an image, any image image based on that text prompt. This show is of course sponsored by the brilliant Every Realm. Now we've mentioned the row on the show before, a members only master planned metaverse real estate development designed by some of the best contemporary artists in the world. And from the 1st to the 3rd of December, Every Realm will be showcasing these creations at a real life installation at Art Basel 2022 as part of Miami Design District's official programming. Uh, so if you're in the Miami area, definitely add this to your itinerary. The event includes a really unique immersive multimedia exploration featuring the amazing Daniel Arsham's Aries House from The Row, which is incredible, uh, along with a selection of his world-renowned physical sculptures too. There'll also be complimentary drinks throughout the day, so what are you waiting for? All the details that you need to RSVP for the event at Art Basel, along with more information on The Row, are in the show notes, so you can easily click through. And now, it's back to the show. So, of course, there's a huge variety of possible outputs based on how good your text prompt is. It's not only that it can create something that looks photorealistic, it can create things in the style of, right? Whether that's in the style of an artist, like show me a picture of a cat playing chess painted in the style of Salvador Dali or Van Gogh or Warhol, it can understand and do all of that. But when Dali 2 was released, OpenAI decided to release it on Rails because it understood that this was a tremendous tremendously powerful generative model and that opening access to it could be dangerous, right? 
because it's not that people are only going to be generating images of cats playing chess in the style of Salvador Dali, right? They're definitely going to be doing things like porn as well. So they decided to keep it closed. But what's happened in 2022 is that they have been leapfrogged by other companies who have decided not only to build their own generative models, who arguably even have potentially better outputs than OpenAI's Dolly 2, but they've done so open source. And to me, the real watershed moment came with the open release of Stable Diffusion from Stability AI, a British AI company. Um, I know the founder. I think he's a very intelligent, interesting man who has a worldview that these generative models have to be open because if they're not, the risk of them being controlled by players like nation states or private companies means that, you know, you have these unbelievably powerful machines that are controlled by the few. And he believes that they should be open for the many. And he understands that, you know, there are certain kind of risks associated with that, but that the benefits far outweigh the risks. So here you have this set this year in 2022 of unbelievable image generations, which are basically open for anyone to use because as soon as Stability open sourced theirs, Dolly did the same, Midjourney is open. I think their Discord has something like 4.5 million people creating using Midjourney. And this is again, a platform that I think only launched in June this year. So billions, I think, pieces of synthetic content already being produced by millions of creators every day. And as soon as Stability AI released Stable Diffusion, the kind of arms race for generative AI was on. All the big tech companies are in on it. So Meta, was really keen that they were gonna like make a play in the space. They released their make a video model, which is making a video from a text prompt. Now that is the hardest challenge, right? Actually creating video with text prompts. So it's still kind of limited in what it can do, but Google's <laughs> make a video, Google's text to video model came out shortly after Facebook's. It's way better. And basically I think that's just gonna be that challenge of using text to generate video is going to be cracked pretty soon to the extent where I think in the next three to five years, it will be possible to generate a Hollywood length feature film using a consumer laptop and one of these tools. So the other thing we haven't talked about is text, right? Because we, we're talking about the visual medium, images and video, but text is already basically cracked. And this is again, another huge generative model that comes from OpenAI. You have GPT-3, which has been trained on like the entire corpus of everything ever written in human history, probably. So it's already integrated in companies like Jasper, where you can go onto Jasper and they have a series of templates and you can just with a text prompt get Jasper to generate a blog post, SEO copy, a script, a press release, a book, whatever it is you want. This text generating abilities are already very, very sophisticated. And of course, there's speech as well. So the next area I think is going to be really, really disrupted. I mean, audio speech is uh, going to be music because right now it's already possible to like distill styles of music, sounds of music, people's voices, and be able to generate not only speech, but also music with AI. So the entire gamut of every type of digital content is now possible to generate with AI.
Wow, yeah. I mean, it's it's really like uh, kind of hurts your brain to think about this the moment we're in, doesn't it? Because it, it does change everything that we we know really it has the potential to. And when you talk about audio there as well, um, I'm sure people will have seen the I think it's podcast.ai, the uh, Joe Rogan conversation with Steve Jobs, which is just unbelievable. Obviously, that never happened, but uh, there we are. There's also some hilarious stuff on TikTok of people who've trained a model to watch all the episodes of Friends and then write a script, and that's uh, they're amazing as well. But so starting with the kind of positive effect of this and what a world looks like when especially text to video has been cracked what do you think are in your mind are the opportunities here and the great things that can, can happen with humanity much like the internet connected people and we kind of supercharge this information age what's the kind of great outlook here using ai as a sort of human race to, to achieve good things what, what does that future look like do you think well it's probably one of in my view um the most transformative technologies that's ever come onto humanity you know bigger than the industrial revolution bigger than the information age this is the age of ai and generative ai is only one application so in my view if you consider the history of technology and how they've transformed human society throughout the centuries i think Previous technologies have been revolutionary and changed human society from like the printing press to modern photography to, you know, all the way to the internet. But I think this is so many magnitudes more powerful uh, that it can't even be analogized on the same scale. So whereas previous technologies changed society, but were broadly integrated into the framework of society, I think when it comes to AI and one application of AI being generative AI, I think it's so transformative that it'll actually change the framework of society itself rather than being integrated into the frameworks of society. So that being said, who knows what the world is going to look like? It's going to be very, very different and very different quickly because the rate of change is exponential and it is already being integrated into so many interfaces that millions of people use every day. I am somebody who is like quite optimistic about the abundance and the opportunity that's presented presented, but not somebody who's like so naive as to think that this technology won't be weaponized or will be won't be used in malicious ways, because obviously it will be. But that's like the story of the internet itself, right? You had this kind of utopian vision of how this world of interconnectivity of information would just lead to, you know, a utopia. And obviously that wasn't the case. But did it lead to abundance? Did it lead to growth? Did it lead to an explosion in information for humanity, yes. This is something even more profound. I think that one of the ways to quantify it is to imagine that every single person, right? Everybody who has a smartphone, that's 6.6 billion people, almost 84% of the adult human population of the world is no longer only going to be a consumer of digital content, the stuff which is our main information diet, right? Already how many of us, like the first thing you do is you reach for your phone. How many hours do you engage with your phone every day? You're not only a passive consumer, but now you have the potential to be a producer and a creator as well. So it's going to lead to this unbelievable explosion of content being created. Um, that's not to say that all of it is going to be deemed worthwhile or art worthy. But if, you know, you were the kid who couldn't sing or can't draw or can't write very well, that will no longer be a limitation because your imagination can now be powered by 
by AI tools in a way that just has not been possible before. So on the plus side, I think huge Cambrian explosion of creativity. Um, I think there's going to be tremendous abundance created in terms of like wealth generation by generative AI. But then you get to the more complicated questions about who should control this? You know, and in this way, I really find the argument for making sure that this kind of technology is open and accessible, almost as a framework of the internet as it evolves to be quite convincing. Because if not, if it's only a few private companies or government that control these generative models, you can see how very quickly it becomes a society of the people who control the models and everybody else is a serf. Because for the first time, these models can also automate a lot of white collar work, right? We've talked about the creative applications, but it's not only creative applications, it's things like generating legal texts. So it's just so profound and huge. I think we don't even have a conceptual framework to truly understand what the implications are gonna be. And I think that if you're intellectually honest, you have to acknowledge that there are gonna be tremendous opportunities as well as risks. So you have to start thinking about how to mitigate some of the risks whilst allowing for like this abundance and the opportunities to arise as well. Yes, fascinating. And also thinking about uh, yeah, who, who owns this and kind of it feels like we're broadly going to a, a more sort of decentralized future in some form. And we'll talk about maybe a little bit about blockchain and how it kind of fits into some of this stuff as well. And I, I think the answer is probably no, I would imagine. But do you think there is going to be a clear inflection point for when society changes with this stuff? And it seems as you talked about that, this kind of exponential speed is picking up and, and you reference in the book about previous technological changes and the uh, time between them and that getting smaller and smaller and smaller as, as new technology is kind of learning and growing in this exponential way. I mean, even I'm starting to see it come into culture, even with the recent Nike advert, they've done a massive advert around uh, the football verse, uh, which is their kind of uh, sort of football universe. But in the in the advert, in the TV advert, they roll back the age of famous football players. Uh, so they deep fake their faces, Ronaldinho, and he, he's at his peak in 2006. And I haven't seen that. I need to check that out. Yeah. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, it's mm. interesting because, uh, yeah, I was like, oh, this is a really kind of clear use case that's uh, fun and, and interesting. And you also mentioned Salvador Dali there's a, a famous video that you reference about him who's passed as, a, as an artist but is now back you know and can speak like that so yes interesting in lots of ways is there, is there anything else um, any other clear use cases that you're seeing right now and do you think we'll hit that kind of one inflection point sorry there's a few, quite a few uh, questions in there but. yeah so use cases yeah I mean the use cases are basically universal. And the only way, the best way that I can quantify it is that anything that we have considered human creative or intelligence, intelligent output in digital format, the production process can now be done by AI. And for those parts where it can't do it completely, like for instance, a film, it will only be a matter of time because I think the generative capabilities will get so good that any form of digital content can be produced by AI. So that means applications are universal, right? It doesn't matter if you are a company that is producing films or if you're a legal firm that needs to produce drafts, legal drafts for your latest M&A acquisition or merger because you can now use AI to do that. In the space itself, from when I started looking at it from at the end of 2017, where it was a bit like mishmash, you had like little models being generated by enthusiasts. And then you had kind of like set piece ads, like the one you referenced with Nike. There are a few earlier ones where there was like a synthetic Lionel Messi, or there was the case where Anthony Bourdain's voice was posthumously uh, generated 
in a documentary using AI, you know, all these kind of like interesting use cases, which were either outliers in terms of like ethical quandaries or kind of a very early use case of how this might be used commercially or in entertainment. Right now, what's happening is that it isn't a case of just seeing those little outlier examples anymore. Entire industries are being changed by generative AI. If you look at the space, there's about 180 companies that are in the space right now doing everything from generative code to 3D, to gaming, to video, to copy and underneath copy. It's like marketing copy, script writing, you name it, any type of copy, academic copy, limitless. It's just limitless. And that space is only growing in terms of research papers, in terms of new companies coming up every day, in terms of the amount of money that's being invested and thrown into the space. So again, I see this not as something that might change, you know, one part of the digital experience, but rather a technology that's going to become like the backbone of the digital ecosystem and the future of the internet itself. So therefore its application is utterly universal. And the second point about the inflection point for society is really difficult for society because I mean, I come from a politics policy background. So by nature, you know, it's often reactive, not proactive. You're trying to get consensus. You're trying to get people around a table. You know, you might sit and negotiate a draft of a sentence (laughs) to get like every constituent to agree to it for like a week. So if you consider that kind of framework, that kind of attitude towards what it takes to like build consensus, make a policy. It's just anathema to these exponential changes that are accelerating so quickly that I think there's going to have to be a steep kind of catch up curve. And what I think I see happening right now when I put my geopolitics hat on or my politics hat on is that some of like the shudders you see in our political systems or in our societies is largely to do with the fact that we are entering a profoundly different era where exponential technology is radically changing our realities and we still have analog systems that just don't know how to cope with that. So does that mean that we will never get there? No, I'm more optimistic than that, but will it take some time? Yeah, absolutely. The kind of technological acceleration is going to fast outpace any kind of like societal expectation or catch up. I mean, the work that I do is just like conceptualizing it so people can even have a framework to think about these concepts because it doesn't even exist yet. So there's there's huge work to do on the society front. Yeah, I always think about uh, the very early internet days where if you try to describe what the internet was, you know, at the stage where two computers could speak to each other, it just wasn't a concept that really existed. So it's impossible to kind of quantify, isn't it? Really just, uh, yeah, think about the future in that way. Um, That's fascinating. And uh, yeah, I can see see how this is going to, you know, affect every industry and there's there's massive opportunities and and good things here. You know, obviously, and you've mentioned some of it, there's, there's many things to be aware of. For the kind of average user or someone who is clued up on this space and wants to, you know, work with this technology as it grows, what are you seeing as the, as the threats? Is there's the obvious thing that anyone would say of like, oh, a political leader being deep faked to the point of hyperrealism where suddenly it causes some sort of catastrophe. I would guess, and uh, please correct me because I have uh, no idea here, but that those types of things will be much more heavily scrutinized. Um, people will be aware that something like that might happen. Are there other kind of more subtle risks that you, that you think people aren't thinking about that may permeate society? And you're talking about um, deep fake porn a lot. There's been some legislation in the UK recently. So that's a, a fascinating area as well. Yeah. So, pornography again has just been like the pioneering malicious 
use case, right? Because it's good to see that countries, including the UK, have like legislated. I mean, I think the UK is actually the first national country to legislate to outlaw deepfake porn, even though I think there are some state initiatives in the US. But it's great because that's low hanging fruit. Yeah. Should should it be criminal to non-consensually put somebody in AI assisted fake porn? Absolutely. Because um, from everyone who's been a victim of deepfake pornography, the consensus is that this is it doesn't matter that it's not real, that this is AI generated. It's just as awful. The consequences are just as awful as if it, it were like real revenge porn that was being put out there. So, yeah. So you obviously have the threat of deepfake porn. And that is actually like a harbinger for a greater threat, which is the potential for anybody's identity to be taken and misappropriated because AI can learn to clone you, right? So it isn't just that you might be cloned in pornography, as many women have been. Anybody's voice or digital likeness can be assumed with a little bit of training data, which is obviously easy now to find for almost everybody because who doesn't have a digital footprint and the amount of training data that is needed is less and less and less. So you've started to see in the fraud space how this is playing out, where the CEOs of companies or executives of companies are being um, cloned with artificial intelligence and it's been used as a way to steal credentials, steal money. Um, and it isn't only high profile people that can be targeted, right? It can be the employees at your company. It can Synthetic fraud is the use of AI generated fake personas to actually infiltrate companies. So one thing that was getting really prevalent during lockdown, uh, lots of Zoom interviews, virtual interviews, were people actually posing to, as they were synthetic beings posing as real persons so that they could be interviewed and enter a company in order to steal credentials or IP. So synthetic fraud is one of the fastest rising areas of fraud. So you have like the porn, which is actually a harbinger for like how everyone's identity can be stolen. Then you have the synthetic fraud. So all in all, this is like a huge threat for personal identity, as well as a huge new cybersecurity risk vector. But the the instance you talked about where, which is often where like the debate was beginning where like, oh, it's like a war and a politician has been deep faked. And then, you know, something really awful happens because it's like, a I don't know, Kim Jong-un saying he's going to nuke the US, like a deep fake video comes out. And then all of a sudden we're in World War Three. So I call that the nuclear scenario. And actually that hasn't really been a prevalent political threats because any kind of deep fakes of politicians that have emerged thus far, including one of President Zelensky in the context of the Ukraine war, it wasn't a very good deep fake, but still it was debunked pretty quickly and it didn't kind of lead to a catastrophic nuclear scenario. In my view, there's a far more pernicious political and actually I would say existential societal effect through the proliferation of synthetic content. And that is rather than going for this nuclear scenario where this one video comes out and it's all pandemonium, it's the death by a million cuts. And what I mean by that is that the more people understand that AI can generate any digital content, Right, including video, which has thus far tended to act as an extension of our own perception, which is why video is so compelling as evidence in a court of law. The more people understand that anything can be generated or faked by AI, the less they will trust any digital content even if it's authentic. And this is a phenomenon known as the liar's dividend. So it's just that people lose trust in the integrity of digital media or the digital medium itself. And that's an existential threat, not only from a political perspective, but from a commercial perspective as well. 
Because everybody, whether you're an individual, whether you're a nation state, or whether you're a company or organization, you have to be able to exist in the digital ecosystem and you have to be able to interact in the digital ecosystem. And if the medium by which you exist and interact, whether it's a personal interaction, a government interaction, or indeed a commercial interaction is not considered trustworthy, then nothing works anymore. So that is to me the more corrosive existential threat that like slowly, 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 death of a million cuts, people just don't trust anything anymore. Like, how do you know? Is that brand from, is that ad from Nike? I don't know. Is that really Luke I'm speaking to? I don't know. Oh, that that's that's my bank uh, who's contacting me, but do I really believe it is? No, I don't. So for me, whilst I really am excited about all the huge potential of generative AI, I think that it's really important to make sure that the authentication of digital content is inbuilt from the start. And we can talk about that, but you have to find a way to ensure that there's transparency and lineage around AI made content so that it doesn't lead to kind of the further denigration or the decline of digital content as a medium of human communication. Mm, interesting that's um yeah i've not thought about it in that way but yeah you can see the very very early stages of of, of that i think like, even weirdly with, with the whole verification thing with elon musk on twitter and, and people kind of claiming verification for stuff that isn't real there is this questioning uh of stuff that's already beginning isn't there which um yeah is is very interesting so it's probably a good time to kind of ask about blockchain and and in your mind does does blockchain and a decentralized in some form a digital ownership layer which is proving something in a you know space and time uh, that you own it and you're the creator and uh, you know proving identity with that technology has that got a role to play here in terms of not moving into a sort of um post-truth kind of era where nobody understands what's real do you think blockchain has a role here absolutely absolutely and in, as a matter of fact like i've been involved in advising a generative ai company in the space called vermilio um that's pioneering exactly that that they will allow anybody who creates generative ai on their platform to secure each of their creations with block chain so that not only can they prove ownership but that they can also commercially benefit from what is essentially a unique digital asset right and you have gone deep into that world with your conversations around nfts and the metaverse but this concept that digital assets are unique and can be valuable i think is one that's here to stay and i think that's certainly true with ai generated content as well and there's like a huge question around ownership right now and what exists right now is that the companies that own the generative models they decide so for for instance, anything you generate with DALI, which is OpenAI's, belongs to them. Whereas anything you generate with stable diffusion belongs to you. But it's no good if it belongs to you, but you have no way of proving it, right? So I think that ownership of your own synthetic content has to become absolutely key to moving forward. Because if you accept the premise that this technology is going to empower everyone by allowing everyone to become a creator, you know, you want to produce music, you want to write a book, you want to create art, you can do that all now with AI. But if it's all for your, you know, let's say it's for your, your metaverse podcast and project, you should be able to prove that it belongs to you and you should be able to have ownership over that. So it's like a really interesting new space and like in terms of like legal precedence, 
there aren't any. And one of the things that I find really fascinating is also like, where is the pendulum going to swing on the question of style? So you've already seen how there's been a lot of controversy around digital artists who found that their work has been used in the training data for some of these text to image generation models and that their names have become really popular prompts. So Greg Ratowski is one, he's a really famous digital artist and his prompt, I think his name is like one of the most popular prompts in stable diffusion. So people are now generating content in his style and he's not getting acknowledged for it or any credit for it. So the question is, I think where it should go is that artists or creators should be able to have their own style machines, which they license, right? Which would probably have to be secured on blockchain or some other kind of authentication technology. So that not only can they create synthetic content, which can be authenticated as theirs, but now they have an avenue where they can actually license and open up their style for their fans to play with. And that's probably going to be the direction of interactive content, IP expansion in the future. Anyway, the way that we're heading, you're going to need much more content. We're going to need like immersive new worlds. And I think that AI will become a new medium for those who wish to see it as such as that can actually like empower artists to connect with their fans and create new work as well. Yeah, that is uh, that's really smart to think about licensing of style. That's uh, it's not even a concept that's that's dropped that like, I've thought about before. But yeah, that's that seems um, I, I can really see that maybe happening, which is again really really interesting. Um, well, I can't believe we're at forty minutes already. So I'm going to ask you one more question. I, I, I had a million more, but um, I know you're very busy as well. So as someone you know so deeply embedded in in all this stuff, how are you thinking about the metaverse as you know a concept of of more virtual worlds that there'll be an element perhaps of hyper realism, but more the concept of us um, changing how we experience the internet in a more immersive way is it something you're excited about is it something you think is inevitable what's your thought on on the future of the metaverse that everyone's discussing at the moment so i think this is much more your domain of expertise than mine but just by what i instinctively believe to be true if the metaverse is coming in terms of like our more kind of experience of the internet and virtual worlds um it being like it strikes me that the thing that's going to be needed to build the metaverse is content lots and lots and lots of content uh, especially because a lot of these experiences are not going to be experiences that are built for mass audiences, but they're going to be individualized experiences, right? Experiences of one for you specifically. How do you want to experience this world? How do you want to interact with this brand? And the way that you can create those types of experiences for billions of people and make them individual and bespoke is only through generative AI. So it strikes me as generative AI. The concept of the metaverse is something that has to be powered by generative AI, because otherwise I don't think there's any way you can create that amount of content and those an amount of experiences so it, tr it strikes me as them being linked inextricably yeah, it feels pretty fundamental, doesn't it? And, and weirdly, just to end, Roblox announced something quite recently where they are working on a text to kind of 3D environment generator that isn't um, open up for experimenting yet, but that's kind of their, their push, so that makes sense if that's where we're going next. So uh, yeah, Nina, thank you so much. So that's been, I've loved loved that conversation. I could talk for hours on it, but uh, yeah, final thing is just where, where can we send people to, to follow you and to uh, follow uh, your work at, and what you're doing in, in this space? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Follow me on Twitter, Nina D. Schick, or LinkedIn, or my website, ninashik.org. Org. Um, my book is on Amazon. It's as I said, it's probably outdated now because the space is evolving so quickly. But I'll be launching something new in this space very soon. So just find me on Twitter, Nina D. Schick. 
amazing i'll make sure it's all linked in the show notes of course uh, and uh, yeah loving the book so definitely recommend people people check that out as well but uh, yeah nina thank you so much for coming on thank you thank you luke so there we go i'm sure you'll agree an epic episode there a lot to think about uh, and a really incredible time to be in this space the next few years are going to get very interesting indeed uh, thank you so much to nina for such an amazing conversation um, thank you for explaining everything so well uh, do share this episode with a friend to uh, blow their minds also but thank you nina for coming on the show always love to hear your thoughts as well do reach out at luke underscore franks on twitter at nina is at nina d schick and of course uh, thank you to every realm for sponsoring the show you can follow them at every realm all the links you need are in the show notes um, and most of all thank you for listening and your continued support have a great rest of your week and i will see you for next week's episode 